This is episode 106 of Reconcile the Isle. What on earth is going on? Rocket Man. Puerto Rico. Russia, 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 Russia. Eight accusers. Several allegations. Thousands of cases. Charlottesville. Horrific shooting. Deadly school shooting. The third deadly mass shooting in a week. Category four. California wildfires. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. Government shutdown. I've never seen this country divided like this. This is astounding to me. Reconcile the Isle. Hey, welcome to Reconcile the Isle, where my characters and I are figuring out how we can have meaningful dialogue about difficult topics. My name is Lauren Lajudice. Today, we're welcoming special guest Josh Boykin. Josh is the founder of Intelligame.us, a site where people think about games and the ways they affect the real world. A lifelong writer, he's worked in video game journalism since 2009 and written for multiple outlets, including Got Game, 411 Mania, Fat Wallet, and more. He's spoken at multiple industry events, including PAX South, Game Devs of Color Expo, Pixel Pop Expo, TwitchCon, and more, working as both a panelist and moderator. Leveraging skills from his background in project management and IT, he aims to create communities that not only love games, but also make a positive difference in the world. Now, if you're wondering if video games are the cause of many of our social problems, then this episode is for you. Now, stay around until the end to hear about this episode's giveaway. And you can always sign up at laurenlogi.com slash podcast to get the link to all the wonderful things that my podcast guests and I give away for free to subscribers. And you will also get reminders when we publish this every other week. So today I'm going to do the interview. My co-host, Melania Trump, uh, do you feel left out now? No. That means I get to do my favorite thing, which is nothing. All right, so let's go to the interview with Josh Boykin of Intelligame. Thank you, Josh, for being here today on Reconcile the Isle. Yeah, thank you for having me. This uh, sounds like a, a really neat opportunity, and uh, you sound like good people. So yes. Like that, good conversations. With good yeah, people. we bring the good peoples together to try to figure out how we can talk about these difficult topics, one of them being video games. Most people, when they hear of video games, they think GTA, they think shooting people up. But when I met you, one of the things that really struck me is that you were like, hell no, there is a whole <laughs> world out there of video games that people don't know about. So tell us about that, Josh. Yeah, sure. So part of the difficulty is, let's say that you're not really into video games. You're not really looking around for them. The ways that you find out about them are, I don't know, commercials you see on TV, things that you randomly hear about from friends or uh, perhaps what you hear on a news show. Um, more often than not, a lot of stuff that has big budget is going to be sort of what people would consider conventional, right? So a lot of shooting, a lot of violence. People hear about Fortnite because of the dances that children are doing all the time now. But there's an entire world of games out there being created by generally smaller creators, whether they're small teams of developers or even just individuals who are putting real effort into telling their own stories through gameplay. So there are tons of games out there that are either nonviolent or are um, 
are using violence as a not as just a game mechanic, but to tell an act, a story, uh, sometimes in real world gripping ways. And so there's just this entire space that the interactive world of games lets us learn about. Uh, we get to experience a little bit more of what it could be like walking in somebody else's shoes or understanding what they're going through by going through their gameplay. And, you know, I was looking through a telegame. You speak a lot about the power of games to share stories, especially stories that aren't told and aren't heard of. So, or heard about enough. And so what is this trend? What is it? Who's creating it? And what's it about? Sure. So, Games are like any other media. You know, the goal, more often than not, for large groups that are putting out these things is to make money. And so sometimes the easiest way to make money is to appeal to the lowest common denominator. Uh, and that makes it really uh, reliable to make money when you're putting together a shooting game. Uh, and it also follows some cultural trends. Call of Duty became really popular during like the Iraq War. And... <laughs> They, you know, we would have these enemies in Call of Duty that were, uh, you know, Middle Eastern insurgents or things like that because it was drawing on a cultural zeitgeist. So fast forward to today where you have more development tools in the hands of tons of smaller creators. And this means that there are a lot of folks out there who don't necessarily have millions of dollars to put their game together, but still have beautiful stories to tell. And more often than not, these are people who you might not consider to be your typical video game nerd. Uh, and when I say that, I mean particularly marginalized creators. So a lot of black and brown folks, a lot of people from the LGBT community, all sorts of folks across different gender spectrums who are using this interactive media to, to tell their stories. And I think there's also even just this approachability that you have when you when you say like well i'm gonna tell my story about what it's like to date as a millennial i'm gonna tell my story about how i am a black woman and don't want people touching my hair i am gonna mm. tell my story about what it is uh or, or tell a story about what it's like being in a refugee camp and trying to maintain a long distance relationship with somebody in another camp these are all real games and they tell real important stories from groups that don't typically get an opportunity to in digital media. Yeah, that's amazing. I hate to use the word amazing, but it's incredible. It's <laughs> amazing. Well, I mean, to be fair, it is. I mean, it is amazing. I, I've been in the industry for a decade now. I still find it amazing. I also find it incredible. So, I mean, <laughs> both of those things <laughs> ring true. <laughs> yeah, and w when I just played a simple game on your phone, what was it the title of that game where I just kind of followed this character along? Yeah, Florence. Yes. Yeah. Um, Florence is actually, I think I, I told you, Florence is almost my, uh, I consider it like my, have you heard about video games game? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, you know, if I were to knock on a stranger's door and uh, try to convince them to come to video game church, then it would be through Florence. Florence is a game where you, uh, it's published by Annapurna Interactive. Um, it is a game where you play as a, a girl named Florence, who is essentially a, a millennial working a desk job. And you're going through and 
discovering her story about kind of just living her ho-hum, run-of-the-mill life that she's not super satisfied with. And then she meets a guy and falls in love and they have this relationship uh, that's really beautiful. And then some other things happen over the course of the story. But it's a really simple game to interact with. It's available on mobile. So it's actually made for iPhones and Android devices. And all of the ways that you go through the gameplay are really just ways for you to to kind of learn about the story. So when you are encountering Florence at work and she's uh, working in like an accounting studio or something like that, you'll see a grid of numbers and your goal is to just press the numbers that match. Because it's not about being a complicated game. It's about getting you to feel this sort of like monotony that Florence is feeling as she's at work. And those are the ways that instead of it being about getting a high score or like beating the final boss, it's just an interactive mechanic that ties you more deeply to the story, which is just part of what makes Florence fantastic. Yeah, I or felt, amazing. Even. Yeah, and amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Stupendous. <laughs> I just felt myself being pulled into her world in a way that I would be if I was 200 pages into a book. It was so immediate, and I was just right along with her as she was going about her journey, and I played it for about two minutes, which is... <laughs> so I'm wondering, there's all this interactive component of gameplay, and I wonder, because we're just trying to figure out how people can actually meet and have conversations. People from not in the eco chamber, and how can games allow us to do that, or don't they? Well... I feel like the, the this question is it's sort of a broader question of media as a whole, right? Um, yeah. We naturally gravitate towards things that correction. We usually gravitate towards things that make us feel comfortable and safe. And so, if we are used to consuming a certain kind of media, it can be hard for us to naturally, on our own, want to consider a different type of media. If I listen to a lot of rap, I listen to a lot of hip hop, the odds of me going to a country music concert are fairly slim, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and perhaps it, perhaps it's me drawing on stereotypes because uh, obviously there are a lot of folks out there who are cross-genre, but I uh, personally don't listen to a lot of country. Yet, the one time that I did go to a Carrie Underwood concert, which was... <laughs> really strange how I even got to a Carrie Underwood concert. But I found that there was like a lot that I learned from that experience of being at the at the show. I didn't run out and buy a Carrie Underwood album, but I did feel like I had a better understanding of what people felt when they were there in that space. And I think that games give us an opportunity to do some of the same things when we engage with other people who are passionate and open about those spaces. So, sorry to extend the Carrie Underwood analogy. Mm. Um, I, again, I'm not a big fan of Carrie Underwood's music, but I, there was no way to not appreciate her as a performer. She has an amazing vocal range. She was very much about making a space that was open and inviting for people who were attending, even though some of the, uh, some of our beliefs didn't exactly line up. I didn't feel like I was being attacked or, or assaulted. Similarly, I think that when you're engaging with games, 
you can engage with games that take you a little bit outside of your experience, like Florence, like Bury Me, My Love, the uh, the game that is that deals with uh, our relationship across refugee camps. You can deal with these games that are sort of ambassadors of experiences that are created by people who are tied to those experiences. And it's like somebody saying, like, here, come into this space, have this experience with the intention of being able to learn something. And I think it's even better when you're able to engage with actual people who uh, really care about those spaces, which is why I think it's important to just like if you had a reading club, you know, if you had a book club where you could talk with other folks and experience together, I think having game clubs is really important, too. And more and more people are starting to do that. What is a game club? If I might ask a non, it's so like red flag non gamer. <laughs> sure. So uh, a game club would be just like a like a book club where you get a group of people together and you choose from uh, you might choose from a list together or somebody who's running the group might say, well, here are three options for the month. Which one do we want to pick? Uh, a lot of people are now starting to do that with video games, particularly since. There are a lot of games now that don't require 40, 50, 60 hours of your time. There are folks who are finding really insightful games to discuss or to enjoy that might only take three or four hours, uh, something that you can clear in a weekend, a story that's built into an episodic format so that maybe you take on one episode or one chapter of the story every weekend or every month. And it gives you a better opportunity to fit this experience of not only gaming, but also thinking about the gaming that you're doing and fitting it into a real-world adult schedule. So people actually meet and talk, and then they go on their own, and then they play. Is that... Yeah. They're not just in a room in their computer. I guess that's um, bringing me to my next question. And this is obviously a way that people can be present with other humans and about their love of gameplay. Um, which is so important to be present with other humans. People also are afraid of video games because they. some people feel it takes them out of the present. It brings them in somewhere else other than where they are. And for an extended period of time, there's concern just about the person being able to, one, connect with other people, and two, um, just the ability to be able to just, you know, have that mindfulness yeah, I, you know, I, I think there are a couple of points there. And I think that those concerns are ones that that tons of people feel. I do feel like some of that concern is is rooted in a bit of what always comes with a fear of technology, um, that it will change the way that we've interacted with the world, that it will disconnect us from a part of ourselves. And I think that there are a number of connections that people make in digital and online spaces that are real connections, real friendships, things that folks will move across the country to, uh, to cement in a real world way, you know, and, and I, I don't want to overlook or underestimate the power of those digital friendships uh, that people are creating and the ways that people learn from other folks, whether they're playing a game together on the internet or meeting each other through social media and having concerted discussions. I think frequently it's about how you choose to have the discussion and not where you're choosing to have the discussion. But those things said, um, there also have been a number of studies about 
teenagers and depression and the ways that being involved in social media or being connected too much to technology um, can add to those things. We have to acknowledge that we are physical beings that live in a physical world. And this kind of technology is exceptionally new. So we're trying to learn how to deal in these spaces. I think that though there are a lot of fears that people have about creating these, uh, these sort of digital wells that, you know, force us to hole up in our rooms and whatnot, a lot of people that I know are really looking to make those connections with other people in person. And it's really about trying to find ways to use the interest that you have to gather with other people physically. So whether it's putting together a game club to have discussions or some people play analog, uh, analog or tabletop games. So things like Dungeons and Dragons or other role-playing games are kind of making a resurgence. There's a big board game renaissance going on right now where it's not just Monopoly and Sorry and the games that we typically think about as board games, but tons of creative games based on fantasy settings or farming settings or you know, any number of ways mm -hmm. uh, that people can gather together in person um, and play a game and still use that game as an opportunity to build um, some of that storytelling and community experience that I think we used to get from either um, that and some people do still get from uh, religious gatherings or social clubs like the Moose Lodge or things like that. Uh, we now have groups that are forming these strong multiple years long bonds with the parties that they explore and quest with in Dungeons and Dragons. And those, those connections are really important and powerful. Now, when you're talking about gaming, including board games and things like Dungeons and Dragons, which I still haven't wrapped my head around what Dungeons and Dragons is. Pe many people <laughs> have tried to explain it to me, and I, it's. But so gaming. I is, feel like you would be amazing at Dungeons and Dragons with all the with all the characters you have like that. I think I might love it. I, I'm almost afraid of like just trying it because I'm going to descend into like Dungeons and Dragons mania. <laughs> I I definitely see you becoming the I, I see you being a a uh, very strong player of of role playing games and that's not you know the world's much bigger than Dungeons and Dragons but perhaps that's a topic for another episode yeah <laughs> so <laughs> the, I'd be the outfits the whole thing I'd have several accents it'd be wild but. <laughs> So gaming really is all of this. It's about playing together on a set of rules, whether in real life or on the internet. Is that really what gaming is? Absolutely. Uh, you hit the nail on the head. Gaming is not um, gaming is not about the zombies you're killing. Gaming is not about the. I, I mean, it is a facet of many games, but fundamentally, gaming is just an artificial set of rules or constraints that we give ourselves to figure out what we would do in a different situation. When you look at a game like Tetris, the uh, classic Tetris World Championships just took place uh, this past weekend here in Portland. Hmm. And it was amazing to watch these players as young as 15 years old and then players who are like up in their 40s play this version of the original Nintendo Tetris that is a very hard game. Like, 
we many slash most of us had played some kind of Tetris, but this old version of Tetris is not friendly. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> there are a lot of ways that the game uh, has been made over time to be easier for people to play, and this old one is not. And yet people still decide to continue playing this old version, this old unfriendly, difficult version of Tetris because it gives them this additional skill that they have to cultivate. And also, when you are engaging with other people who have invested the time to cultivate this skill, it gives you this natural sense of cohesion and this sort of natural um, bond with those other people. When you've all reached a level of expertise in a space that you all care about, It brings you together. And that Mm -hmm. is not exclusive to gaming. That happens in book clubs. It happens in churches. It happens in anywhere where you just realize that, oh, they care about the same thing I care about. I would imagine it's the same thing that you encounter with other comedians or actors or actresses who are like, you're like, oh, no, you get it. Like, you're tied into the craft, too. And this gives us a space that we can share together. Absolutely. Yeah. That's like a, the first time I walked into a comedy room, I was like, ah, oh, my people. I, mm-hmm. do. Yeah. <laughs> I would imagine that to that end, that also creates a space where you can meet other comedians who don't completely run on the same page as you. You might have some disagreements, but you can still find some common ground with some people, right? Not everyone, yeah. uh, but you might create a little bit more space to learn from an individual or to hear what they have to say because you share that common bond of comedy. That's true because I will think, well, I don't agree what they're doing, but I respect that X, Y, Z they're They're putting that much time into their craft or something about what they're doing. There's some, they're brave about what kind of stuff they're talking about or that they're going in a different direction than everyone else. Uh, there's some people that I really admire which who would be like really shocking to people because of that um Mm -hmm. adam carolla actually is one uh which no one everyone's (laughs) like what like anyway (laughs) i just uh oh i was gonna say well i i just saw something about adam carolla recently but i realized it was from uh the flotus official account so yeah that makes that's so funny yes because in (laughs) in this little web miniseries i made called mondays with melania she had an affair with Adam Carolla because <laughs> he's like a younger loudmouth. She's like, ooh, new one. So, <laughs> full head of hair, I must have him. So, <laughs> so now some people out there are having trouble communicating with people in their life. What might be a good game for them to give to someone? Let's, let's just say a family member. What's a good game to give someone to start a conversation about, well, let's say the refugee crisis. Would it be that game about a love affair across refugee camps? Yeah, you know, and I think that's where, it's, it's a great question. I, I often get, the, what's a what's a good game that I should give my insert person I have relationship with? And it's, uh, I, I feel like it's the equivalent to like, what restaurant should I go to or what album should I buy? And it, and it does kind of depend on what you're interested in. I do think that for, for me, my general go-to, 
I want you to understand that games can be more than this is Florence. I think it's a beautifully crafted game. Practically anybody can play it. It's available uh, for anybody who has a, a mobile device and it's like three or four dollars. And it's just a, a beautiful story. I think for folks who are looking for a game that might help them be a little bit more politically and, you know, knowledgeable about the refugee crisis, Bury Me, My Love is a great example of that. And it kind of varies from topic to topic. There are also, I think, games that are games in the sense that they are interactive, but they are meant to be educational. One of my favorite game creators out there is a person by the name of Nikki Case. They create a series of what they kind of call instructables. So they're games, and, and you can play them on your web browser for free, but they're also meant to tell a story. So one of my favorite of all time is called The Evolution of Trust. It basically utilizes game theory to explain why the Internet always feels like a dumpster fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it compares a, a story about, I believe, Christmas. There's a story about Christmas during World War One, I, I believe where the um, combatants on either side of the tr- opposite sides of the trenches actually had a ceasefire during Christmas and like exchanged gifts with each other and like had peace for a day. And, people, and, and mm. folks today look back and you're like, how did that happen? I won't spoil the answer, but there are three basic reasons that the game posits of how you build trust in any scenario. And unfortunately, the internet doesn't provide us those three very often at all. Uh, there's also another one that Nikki created called We Become What We Behold, which is about media consumption and how the things that we watch on TV or the ways that the media, um, and I hate saying the media because it's, mm-hmm. you know, this capital T, capital M, generic, weaponized term for folks who are creating media content. but Mm. Um, but it talks about the ways that what we consume influences what we do. And we, we have to acknowledge that even if we are, um, even I, as a video game advocate, right. Can still acknowledge that the, the attitudes, the ideas, the mindset that come across in the games that we play and the movies that we watch, you know, it's not a, you watch Grand Theft Auto and now you go out and steal cars, but we do understand that like some content is made for adults. <laughs> like there are some people who might mm-hmm. be more impressionable than others. And we need to understand that, you know, what we take into our minds will affect the ways that the things that we put out into the world. And unfortunately um, we become what we behold. I will say has a pretty graphic ending with some really initially very lovable looking characters. So <laughs> Um, so yeah, just be on the lookout if you're a little sensitive to uh, to cartoon violence. Uh, the end of We Become What We Behold is a little intense. Wow, and I mean that brings me to the argument a lot of people say about gaming is that it encourages violence. And and I'll be honest, I mean I love like a good pin bot, and I used to play all of the different games that were not violent. This is before it started getting taking this turn, and then I remember those games starting to come out and I was just like, I can't, I can't go there Uh, where they're actually physically like you're shooting people in the game. And it's so 
visceral and so intense. So does that encourage violence? You know, um, this is a conversation that a lot of people have had, particularly when a school shooting happens, when uh, last year there was a Madden football tournament uh, where somebody came in with a gun and shot up the tournament. Um, And I think a lot of people have these questions about do, you know, the short question they ask, do video games cause violence? And of course, it's a very complicated topic. There have been tons of researchers that have said, like, video games do not cause violence. Um, We can also look at any number of other countries that have access to the same video games we do, but fewer occurrences of mass shootings or violence related to video games. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It also doesn't mean that we shouldn't be aware of what we're taking in. I think that, for instance, uh, like movies have uh, the MPAA, the Motion Picture Association, that rates this movie's an R and this movie's a PG and whatever. There are ratings for many video games, particularly any of them that you'll see on a actual store shelf. That'll say, this game is mature. It should only be played by folks who are 17 or older. This game is E for everyone. And it's uh, it'll also stipulate if it has things like fantasy violence or drug use, whatnot. But I think that the question of do video games cause violence is one that a lot of reasonable people ask because it <laughs> because it's really intimidating and because a lot of the ways that we hear or uh, hear about or see video games are connected to this sort of stereotypical picture that we have of young teenage boys who are angry with headsets on yelling obscenities over their xboxes you know um, while playing violent shooting games and i i also do feel like there was a significant portion of of sort of the evolution of video games where a lot of that graphic violence felt very intense especially you know this the sort of xbox 360 era which was like back when i was in college um in like 2006 2010 you know you're getting more photorealistic graphics you're getting this sort of big push in military shooters um Mm -hmm. and the the gore the gore and the violence that comes with that but to loop back to what we talked about earlier on in the discussion because there are more creators now who are in the space who have access to the medium and who have in many cases a lot of the same grievances and concerns that that Mm. you do about, and many other people do about, do we need all this violence? Do we need all of this, regardless of whether or not, you know, playing a violent video game makes somebody pick up a gun? Like, do we need all of this? And there's actually a good friend of mine who has also done work for IntelliGame and is, um, an indie game critic in her own right. So she focuses on games that are not the huge ones that you would hear about, uh, that you would see a commercial about during the Super Bowl or whatever. Her name's uh, Jenny. She goes by Kim Chica on, uh, on YouTube. And her content really focuses on what she calls wholesome games. So games that are like kind of, they're not always happy games. But they don't have to come with gratuitous violence. They don't have to come with 
these dark foreboding settings. These can be games that are still brightly colored or approachable, but still deal with real world issues and make you feel. And that is an entire space that is growing because there are now creators who have access to the space that have not had to go through multi-million dollar CEOs, venture capitalists who are really just concerned about their return on investment, uh, people who got into the space only playing a certain kind of game, only saw a certain re- kind of representation in games and was totally okay with that because they were always the dominant one in the picture. We're now starting to see more people be able to use their voices in this space. And the space as a whole is changing as people see that like stories about marginalized people are stories that everyone can relate to regardless mm-hmm. of whether or not they have that specific marginalization. The massive amounts of money that Black Panther as a movie made, you know, was kind of disproving this theory that like movies about black people don't make money. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I, I think that's, as you've probably been able to tell over the course of this interview, it's a complicated answer that I have for a relatively short question. But I think that we have to acknowledge that there is an influential power in the media that we consume, but that we also have to see that like, there are a lot of people doing a lot of good things with games. And though games don't inherently make somebody do a violent act, we do have the power to influence people for good uh, at the same time as there are folks out there who are influencing people for not so good. Yeah. Principal Mary Poppins actually has a question about this. Principal Poppins? It's been so long. <laughs> I've come to the United States to try to uh, rehabilitate, you could say, the American education system. Um, you could watch my series and find out that eventually I just uh, give up. All right. So- <laughs> um, unfortunately, I know... A lot of people who've taken that that yes. exact tack. I can't blame you for that one. Yes. Well, I thought More that... More than a spoonful of sugar. Yes, a spoonful of sugar. But I, I just thought that going back to England and helping Theresa May at the time with Brexit would be easier. Um, so. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, during my tenure as, as principal in American schools, I saw some interesting things. One time I saw a student with a phone, which is strictly prohibited. So I went up to the student and did. I had a little American audacity to me. I grabbed the phone from him and I took it and I saw, oh my God, I saw on the phone, there's a game Grand Theft Auto. And he was in the middle of uh, the, what you call a sex worker was in the car and he was getting energy from fornicating uh, virtually with the sex worker in the car in the middle of the school. Well, my goodness. How do, how do we even begin to have a conversation? There are so many layers to what is going on. How do we even begin to talk to kids about what they see in video games? Well, um, I mean, that's a, I think it's a, a fantastic question, one that uh, is probably uh, a little intimidating to, to answer, especially from across the pond. You know, I think that it comes down to teaching people a sort of responsibility about the ways that they engage with media. And that, unfortunately, is not a uh, it's not something that we just have to teach our children. So it's going to be difficult. Uh, I think it can be very difficult for many adults 
to also have a sort of broad understanding of what they're taking in and how to deal with that. Kids in particular, I think, are influenced by what they see around them. And so there are a lot of kids out there who may see a game that was designed for an age group that was not theirs and want to dive into that. And I think as educators, as adults, that's our responsibility to have those conversations with them and to give them alternatives. But I will also say that to loop back to the Tetris conversation that I had brought up just a little bit earlier, there were a lot of young folks at that Tetris tournament, people who uh, ranged from loving games. And uh, I met one guy who is like a, just a complete master at chess all the way to uh, the guy who won the Tetris championship this weekend for the second time in a row. And he doesn't even really consider himself a big gamer. He considers himself primarily a musician and just also really enjoys Tetris. And Tetris is not a violent game, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that when you can create communities and spaces where people can get a sense of mastery, get a sense of ownership in a space and an identity that they can share with other people, it doesn't have to be through something violent, but it'll be real easy to make it through something violent. Violence, I think, in games is, well, pardon the, pardon the reference, Principal Poppins, but violence can be like sugar and that it makes the, <laughs> it makes the whole experience a little easier to consume, mm. even if it's not always healthy for us. So, mm. you know, that's why it's a spoonful of sugar yes. and not a, uh, a, a cup of sugar. <laughs> Oh, Spitzbot, you've got it. You've got it right there. <laughs> so thank you so much. And I want to also just put it out there as well. Um, your website, I think, is such a great resource for people who want to learn more about gaming and also some of the diverse games that we've been talking about. So that's an an unprompted plug for your website. Go to IntelliGame. <laughs> uh, because thank I you. do. Th- I think it's such a wonderful place for like an in-depth discussion of what gaming is and also... All these new creators, which is so exciting because it's a new chapter in storytelling, really. Yeah. So, Josh, other than going to IntelliGame, how can people interact with your work? Sure. So uh, the best way to keep up with me is on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at twitter.com slash wallstormer, W-A-L-L-S-T-O-R-M is Mary, E-R. You can also find uh, a lot more IntelliGame content by searching for IntelliGame.us. Uh, it's not a .com. People get that confused a lot. But it's IntelliGame.us, and anytime that you're looking on social media or another space, uh, you can find us under the handle IntelliGameUs. So on Twitch, where uh, we stream every Wednesday and some other times too, so you can see us live playing games and having discussions similar to the ones that we just had now. Uh, you can find that at twitch.tv slash IntelliGameUs at 6 p.m. Pacific time on Wednesdays. And then uh, we're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, though I can tell you uh, the person who runs those accounts is not very good at social media. That, that person is me. I'm not very good at social media. Like, I just don't like, I'm, I don't know what it is. Perhaps it's that element of being present. That's, that's what it is. I'm just focusing on being present to the uh, dismay of social media. But still, um, that's a good way to keep up and see what's uh, what's coming around the bend. And we also run uh, a digital community which folks can uh, can join called uh, uh, it's a discord so it's like slack or uh, other chat room spaces that people can join uh, you can find that at int 
gm.us slash discord, D-I-S-C-O-R-D. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Josh. Um, Be best and rock on. We'll talk soon. Thank you, Lauren. This was uh, fantastic. It was great to talk to you. So, Melania, what did you think? Maybe you can get a Dungeons & Dragons game started in the White House. Oh, we've done that before. You have? Oh, yes, and an argument always goes up about who gets to be the Grand Wizard. For the rest of us, here are a few things to keep in mind. Do video games cause violence? Well, you know what? There are video games that have nothing to do with violence. So if maybe you're afraid that someone in your life is playing violent video games, maybe introduce them to all of the plethora of options that are out there. Go to IntelliGame.us for more. And, you know, the power of games to tell stories of marginalized people. There is a huge amount of people creating content now, and it's very exciting. They're creating more ways, different ways to tell stories. And it's also important to remember to ask questions about the media you consume. This is on video games, on social media, everywhere, all the media. It's important to ask questions. Let me know how this goes for you. And before we go into the I Don't Care Do You segment, I'd like to do a few things. First, I want to encourage everyone to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It really, really helps other people find us. Second, I want to thank everyone who's made this podcast possible. Thank you to Sophia Reyes-Jones for editing, to Devin Edwards for creating the intro, Manny McLennan for the podcast art, and a shout-out to Alan Walters, Danny Holt, and Craig Franson, who helped me to conceptualize this podcast. And of course, thank you to Josh Boykin for being such a wonderful guest. You can follow the podcast on my Twitter and Instagram, at Lauren Logi. that's L-O-G-I. And do consider signing up at laurenlogie.com slash podcast to get all the free stuff from myself and my podcast guests. This episode, we're giving away a collection of essays from Josh and Intelligame. It's so generous. They are just beautiful and thoughtful essays, and they dive into topics like guns, fighting, in the idea of becoming what you behold. It's just so lovely, and you could check it out at laurenlogie.com slash podcast by signing up to be a podcast VIP. And if you want to come to one of my shows, I do stand up in character as Melania Trump and have a tour coming up next May and June, some New York shows also coming up in March. Then go over to laurenlogie.com slash shows and find out when to catch me live. And do join my email list at laurenlogie.com to find out about the bonuses I'm offering for the pre-order of Inside Melania, what I learned about Melania Trump by impersonating her when it comes out in March. Listen, we have to learn how to have public dialogue again. The world's on fire, literally a lot of times, and we've got to talk about it. And there is no better way to understand the importance of this by reading the headlines. So, Melania, give us the top headlines in the I Don't Care Do You segment. Here's all the things that I don't care do you about. Impeachment trial has started and it is looking corrupt from the outset. Thank you, Mitch McConnell, because this was my chance to get home. There was another shooting, this time in downtown Seattle, and we're so used to it that it's barely mentioned in the headlines. And all the Democratic candidates are started to fight amongst themselves. Uh, But I don't care, really. Do you? 